Oh, hi there. Didn't see you come in. My name's Chris. This is Nuclear Hangover. And today we're talking about the Batman. Roll the intro. Nuclear Hangover 2022. Dogwater Boys. Let's go. Before we get into this, why don't we go over uh, the director, Matt Reeves' bona fides real quick. He directed Cloverfield, Let Me In, Dawn and War for the Planet of the Apes. Those are four pretty good movies, particularly for me, Let Me In. Before we really dive in here... Let's just go ahead and give you the spoiler-free review of the movie. It's real good. It's about as high level of a superhero movie as I've ever seen or that I can recall. I think that you would be doing yourself a pretty big disservice if you didn't go out there and see this movie in theaters. Now let's get into some of the more... Uh, it's not necessarily spoilerific, but I got no spoiler filter on these. So let's just go down the list, huh? Let's start with the pros. The things that worked. First of all, this movie has very striking visuals. From car chases on fire, to Michael Myers-esque fading in from the shadows. This movie has about half a dozen to a dozen really memorable scenes that stick out. There are strong performances all around, from Batman, Alfred, Penguin, Falcone, Catwoman, Gordon, Riddler, all around these characters, even though they're not all super looming in the picture of the film, they're all uh, very well acted, very memorable, they have very distinct characteristics, and most of them, even though you don't see them a lot, you wouldn't mind seeing more of them. Another pro, Gotham looks great. I feel like it's not just the city, but the tone of the entire movie is a pretty happy medium between like the Christopher Nolan films and uh, the Tim Burton movies. I would say that this is the most realistic Batman movie, even though it is stylized in a way. Meaning that it feels pretty realistic. There's scenes where, uh, where they show Batman standing next to more or less ordinary people, and he sticks out like a sore thumb, but it feels like uh, the people are acting in a very true-to-life kind of fashion. There's a scene toward the end where he's standing next to, like, a National Guardsman, you know, kitted out. He's got, like, a camo plate carrier and a fast MT helmet. 
and uh, he's strapping somebody into a stretcher to be airlifted onto a chopper. And then right there next to him is Batman also strapping the person in. And while it's actually kind of funny, you know, it, it plays to one of the big struggles in the movie, which is like Batman uh, stepping out of the shadows, so to speak, and becoming um, more of a part of Gotham. But we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie is that Batman feels pretty vulnerable in this film. First of all, you get the feeling that Batman might not win every fight he gets into. And you also get the feeling that the character knows that. He's got these long, standoffish intros where he is sulking out of the shadows, eyes wide, looking like, I don't know, uh, sizing up the situation. How is he going to tackle this problem? And even at the beginning of the movie, he's like getting in a fight with a, a gang of like, I don't know, eight people. And they're like mugging somebody on a train platform. I feel like in basically every other Batman movie ever produced, he would just come out and absolutely rock their shit. Absolutely tear them apart. And this one, you know, he might not wind out, wind up on top. Another thing that goes into the vulnerable Batman is that he doesn't always immediately solve the riddles or know what to do. He really struggles to, uh, to uncover everything and to serve justice to all the other characters in the film. This is kind of random, but in the movie, Bruce and Alfred have sort of an antagonistic relationship, which is totally interesting it's so much more interesting than the copy-and-paste, uh, servile, docile manservant Alfred that we see in every other movie. Um, even though he's supposedly this, like, ex-soldier, all this other stuff, you know, he's got all of this life experience, but he's just this... Um, I don't know. He's like a pussy, right? He's just, like, he's there just to serve the Wayne family. It feels very weird in every other movie. In this one, they kind of have their, uh, you know, they kind of have their differences. Um, the biggest, most, and this is the most spoilerific thing I'm probably going to say in this, I think, is that the whole arc of Batman as vengeance versus him as Gotham's protector at the end of the movie is really strong, and it's something that I think most Batman movies address, but they usually do it at the beginning. Like I think in Batman Begins, right? Right when he gets back uh, after being under the tutelage of Raj al Ghul and he gets back to Gotham and he's just beating the fuck out of everybody. He has this revelation. I think he's talking with Alfred and it's like, you have to become a symbol of hope and you have to become a symbol of justice. Well, at the beginning of the movie, we see Batman literally introducing himself as vengeance. Uh, those guys on the train platform, when he comes to break up their uh, little act of ultra violence, they go, oh, and who are you supposed to be? And he goes, I'm vengeance. A couple times throughout the movie, he and others are referred to this way. Towards the end, he gets into a big altercation with a Riddler's henchman. And one of them says the same thing. I'm vengeance. 
he realizes that these punks, these weird incel loner orphans that are the Riddler henchmen, they're acting under like what they perceive to be like the onus of uh, they're these like holy Avengers, kind of like he saw himself as. And at the end of the movie, as the city is flooding and he's rescuing people, and then he sees that the Riddler's people call themselves this, or that one guy calls himself that, he realizes that what he is really transforming into, or what he should be transforming into, is more of this protector, this uh, hero of the city. And I think that's a really strong plot of the movie. It's a really strong thread of the plot of the movie, maybe. So let's talk about cons here real quick. The intrigue got a little boring after two and a half hours. <laughs> this is no Zodiac. And then the second thing I wrote is, this is no Zodiac. Okay. I don't know why. About a month ago, this movie started heavily being referenced in the same breath as David Fincher's The Zodiac. And if you haven't seen it, or if you don't know anything about The Zodiac Killer, the movie is basically one of the great living directors, David Fincher, telling the story of one of the real-life supervillains uh, that's ever existed, one of the very few that's ever really existed. Super interesting movie. It's a, I hate to say this, I'd say a very firmly superior film to The Batman. It's the easiest, it's the quickest passing three-hour movie I've ever seen. And it's super interesting. Couldn't recommend it highly enough. The Batman is great as well. I think it's really good. But unfortunately, the, uh, the story doesn't have anywhere near the gravitas of the Zodiac. The Riddler is a far less interesting character than the Zodiac. And um, in a make-believe world, I think that his whole little scheme really runs out of steam by the time that we figure out everything that's going on, which is, you know, like I said, two and a half hours in. That isn't to say, it's not like a huge negative. It's not like an extremely boring story or anything. I think maybe they could have chopped like half an hour out or something like that and fixed it. But um, anyway, let's get on to the next point. The length made the humorlessness, well, there's a word for you. The humorlessness of the movie stand out. I was dying for John Turturro to crack a joke. This movie is super bleak. Well, it's not super bleak, but it's just a bleak affair. There's not a lot in the way of comic relief. And um, that gets a little grating. Not boring. It just gets a little grating by the end of the movie. It's like, ugh. It could use a little bit of positivity, a little bit of influence of humor. But uh, it's kind of a minor point overall. The ending. It's interesting because I said that the ending, where we find Batman go from uh, the personification of vengeance to him as Gotham's protector, is one of the great parts. But there's also a bad part about the ending, which is that all of Riddler's henchmen, who are dressed exactly like him, and they all are using the same, like, scoped hunting rifle that he used to shoot Falcone earlier, just felt, like, a little bit cheesy. 
it felt like a little bit beneath this movie, if I'm being 150% honest. The last and most unforgivable con is uh, the fact that they featured the song Something in the Way by Nirvana at the beginning and end of this movie. In fact, not only did they have the song in it, that song is like the fugue that the score takes on for the rest of the movie. Why is this a negative thing? I would actually contend that it's a pretty good song. But unfortunately, it's kind of one of Nirvana's underrated hits. And now, it's going to be played every single where, it's going to be all over TikTok, it's going to be on all the hot and crispy memes, and uh, unfortunately, it's going to be joining the ranks of Smells Like Teen Spirit, um, The Man Who Sold the World Acoustic, and uh, all the rest, you know? There's not a lot of underground classics left for Nirvana, and that kind of makes me sad. Anyway... Um, I'm gonna cut it off here. This really wasn't the first episode that I wanted to do. Uh, but this is the first one that came, you know? I couldn't pass up doing this movie after seeing it. It kind of left an impression. So, I think I'm just going to call it here. NuclearHangover.com. Go there. Follow the socials. It's gonna be big, okay? The merch coming out, it's gonna fry your fucking brain, okay? Get ready, get set, and go.